Hey, it is good to see you this morning. A lot of good stuff going on. You heard Pastor Anthony mention community groups launch. After service immediately in the lobby, there'll be some pub tables set up with a lot of our community group leaders with tons of groups. That's really great groups this semester. You know, when you come here on Sunday morning, this is how this becomes your church. But when you come to community group and get plugged into a group, it's when church becomes your family. And that is our desire for you. We have a group that's a Spanish-speaking group. We have a great new group that's just for fathers. There's some incredible groups for you. So check all those groups out. There's a directory online on the website and in the Church Center app as well. Um, before we get started, um, Pastor David, would you stand up? Pastor David Stevens. Pastor David uh, has been a, a friend and mentor of mine for many years. And his grandson, Charlie, has been dealing with some long-term COVID-type things. Would you all just reach your hands towards him as he stands in the gap? Father, we thank you so much that you are a healing God and that you're not far away. You're very near and very present. And Father, I thank you right now for Pastor David and Teresa. I thank you for their heart for your kingdom. I thank you for their faith. I thank you for the prayers they prayed over their kids and grandkids for so many, so many years. And right now, Father, for Charlie, we pray right now that sickness should not reign in his body, but the prayers of his grandfather and his grandmother shall be answered. There should be healing, refreshing, restoration, and strength within his lungs, Father. As a young teenage boy, Father, I pray for energy to rise up so he can walk in the purposes you've called him to walk in. And so I thank you for a faith, a legacy of faith and a heritage of faith. And Father, right now, I just pray that heritage is transferred from one generation to the next upon their children, upon their children's children. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you all very much. Give Pastor David a round of applause. Or as I call him, the bishop. Um, we start Masterclass Part 2 today. If you have your Bible, you turn to Matthew chapter 5 as Dr. Kendall I uh, just did this incredible job just setting up the Sermon on the Mount and, and just walking through some of his great theology that he's had. He's been a dear friend of this church for so many years, a dear friend of Toy and I uh, for so many years. So backstory, you know, I've talked about how bougie my wife can be sometimes and how picky she is with her food. One of her bougienesses, if that's a word, bougienesses, is that she does not eat buffets. I love buffets. Therefore, I've sacrificed benefits to my belly to satisfy my bride. Well, Dr. Kendall loves, loves, loves buffets. So the only people that love buffets are those that sacrifice quality for quantity. And so like a couple years ago, he came and we ate like a really great dinner on Saturday night. And the next morning, he's like, um, can we go to that, that new Golden Corral buffet? So Toy adores Dr. Kendall and Louise. So she was like, well, she didn't want to say yes, but she didn't want to say no. So she's like, it's, I didn't say anything because I was enjoying the whole experience. So you go to Golden Corral and she suffers through for Dr. Kendall, but she won't suffer through for me. And so last week we go out to eat. Toy was out of town with a ride for a volleyball tournament. And um, so he says, if Toy is not here, I would not do this to her again if she was here, but I would love to go to Golden Corral. So we go to Golden Corral. He is trying to FaceTime her the entire time from the buffet line. And so uh, he's just a, a joy to be around and just been such a good mentor and friend to us in this church so many years. But he did a great job sitting with the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, is an incredible teaching that is Jesus' primary teaching. And it was this sermon that he, you, know, you heard last week, probably preached over a couple of days. But in the Sermon on the Mount, it is, a principle is this. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' guide to mountaintop living. 
He did not come to just reestablish a better form of Judaism. He wanted to see God's people rise up to their right place to live on the mountaintop of God. Then in the Old Testament, Moses had these mountaintop experiences where he connected with God face to face. And Jesus is teaching now that there's a guide, this Sermon on the Mount is a guide to how we can live on those mountaintop experiences face to face with God. And I believe as you look at culture, it's time for the church to quit living like the world and start living a mountaintop lifestyle, a holiness lifestyle, a purpose-driven lifestyle, a a full-fledged, heaven-focused, eternally-driven, missionally-desiring lifestyle. And the Sermon on the Mount is the guide to that. Martin Lloyd-Jones who is actually the pastor of Westminster Chapel Ford, Dr. Kendall, said it this way. He said, the Sermon on the Mount becomes this mountain that God calls all of us to climb. He calls all of us to, to scale this mountain, to climb this mountain, to, to live this lifestyle that shows other people what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He said, but the problem with this mountain is you can't climb this mountain on your own. You, you can't scale this mountain. You can't, no matter how good or how in shape you are, you can't climb this mountain. You can only climb it with Jesus by your side. You can only climb it with Jesus holding you hand in hand through every single teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It teaches us about divorce and remarriage. It teaches about marriage and giving. It teaches about judging and not judging. It teaches about holiness. It teaches about prayer. It teaches about every facet of life you could dream of. Jesus teaches us the way to do it in a way that reflects the kingdom. And he starts with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the, are the first initial steps of climbing this mountaintop of God to live this lifestyle that shows people what it looks like to have the kingdom of heaven living on the inside of you. One person called it a ladder. It's, it's the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meekness, the hunger for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and even persecution. It's a ladder. And as you climb this ladder through these characteristics, you start displaying the glory of God. You start displaying the grace of God in the way God wants you to display it. So the word beatitude comes from the Latin word beatus, which basically just means blessed or blissed. And he walks us through this this blessing or this blissing, and he says this is the way that if you are part of the kingdom of heaven, your life should look like if Jesus is living on the inside of you. So it actually gives us a standard, but also a filter to filter out those who maybe claim Jesus but aren't actually citizens of his kingdom. Meaning, we can all be honest, we all live in the Bible. About There's a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus and he lives on the inside of you, these characteristics, these traits, these teachings of Jesus should flow through you and should characterize your life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So it gives us two things, the standard and the filter to measure ourselves by. Because if you look at the Old Testament, Moses went to the mountaintop to get the law and brought the law down. Well, Jesus goes to the mountaintop and brings a new law down. But this is a law of grace, not judgment. And it gives us a standard now. You have the old standard. This one's deeper where Jesus says it goes deeper than the flesh. It's now on the inside. And he starts with the Beatitudes. So in Matthew chapter 3, it says this, blessed. Everybody say blessed. You know, in the, in the Bible Belt, that means you're stupid. You know, bless their little heart. That, that means they're dumb as a rock. That's not what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
couple other translations. So this way the Amplified says, blessed or spiritually prosperous, happy, or to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance, those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. The message verse says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. The New Living Translation, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And the CEV says, God blesses those people who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. I love that CEV gets all the language out. God blesses those people who depend wholly on him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. But the ESV says this, blessed. Blessed. And you heard last week, this word blessed, we think of it as a past tense, but it's actually bless hyphen ed. And it means happy or approved. Meaning those who are living in the poor in spirit, those who realize they're poor in spirit, they're approved by me. They're approved. Happy are them because they're approved by God. And if they're approved by me, then nothing can stand against them. But this poor in spirit, the poor, means to be empty or bankrupt. Which means there's absolutely nothing in your spirit that you have to offer God. Meaning they're empty in their spirit. They've come to the end of themselves. They're empty. And the kingdom of heaven is just the rule and reign of God. I mean, so if you're blessed, you should be happy when you're empty in your spirit because God is going to fill you with his rule and his reign and his will in your life. See, the principle is this simple. At the end of me, at the end of Bobby, I find real life in him. So Jesus has this whole multitude of people on this mountaintop. And he's basically just telling them, when you come to the end of yourself, when you've exhausted all your efforts to make yourself right, when you've worn yourself out by trying to prove you're good enough, when you've worn yourself out by trying to put up some religious image of yourself in the synagogue, trying to pretend and fake it till you make it, when you finally come to the end of yourself, that's when you find the kingdom of heaven. You don't find the kingdom of heaven trying to find the kingdom of heaven. You find the kingdom of heaven when you realize the kingdom is not yours. And when you realize the kingdom is not yours, that's when you find the John 10, 10 life, that he comes to give abundant life. And that abundant life is found in his kingdom. This teaching would have rocked all the Jewish people who had tried their hardest to do the law, had tried their hardest to to walk through all the traditions, who had tried their hardest to present this image, who tried their hardest. Now Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The goal is not to show yourself being great. The goal is to realize you've come to the end of yourself and you have nothing to offer God. But what's even crazier is he says, you're blessed. Could you imagine anywhere else in the world if somebody says, you're poor? Oh, you're so blessed. Oh, you're, you're filing for bankruptcy. Oh, congratulations. Oh, you're empty. Your cupboards are empty. Your bank account is empty and you're dead broke. Happy you should be. Like that is how countercultural Jesus is talking to these Jewish people. He literally says, when you've come to the end of yourself, now you're blessed. And blessed means you're having supernatural power and influence working for you. When, when I say God bless you or, or anything, many times it would be blessed. What I'm saying is I am praying that God's supernatural 
influence and favor and ability are working for you. When we tithe, we now have God's blessing upon our finances. We have God's supernatural favor and influence working for us. To be cursed means you have supernatural forces working against you. But thank God we have a God who doesn't curse, but he blesses. And he blesses us. It means that all of heaven is now for you, not against you. All of God's armies and his angels are now working for you and not against you. When you're blessed, God says, that's my boy or that's my girl. If you want to get to them, you have to come through me. So so when you're poor in spirit, you're blessed. Blessed, meaning you're happy, you're you're approved, you're you're good, congratulations. You have God's favor working for you. But the problem with the Beatitudes is sometimes we think it's a formula. Because in our culture, we love to find out little formulas of how we can try to manipulate God. And then once we find a formula, we build a theology around that, like the prosperity gospel. That yes, God blesses those who sow seeds into his kingdom. Yes, God blesses them and takes care of the tither. But once it becomes a formula, it's no longer offering, it's manipulation. Once you find the formula, now it's not a principle. Now you're manipulating God to do what you want. And the Beatitudes, people have taught that if you realize you're poor, if you get poor, if you make yourself poor, this is where a lot of, a lot of monks and monasteries, if you make yourself poor, then God will bless you. And they try to make it a formula, but this beatitude is not a dangling carrot where God says, oh, you know, I'm going to say dangling carrot of the kingdom in front of you. And if you impoverish yourself enough, if, if, you know, if you skip the, the biggie size McDonald's, you just get the regular size McDonald's, I'm going to bless you with my kingdom. And you'll say, well, if, you, if God says, well, if you do X, I'll bless you and you'll receive Y. You know, the reason people think about the Beatitudes is because that's how the law worked. The law said, if you obey me and do this, then I'll give you this promised land. If you obey me and do this, then I'll give you this blessing. If you obey me and do this, then I'll give you my protection. If you obey me and do this or that, then I'll do that. So the formula is we have to do something and then God does something. But that's not the way the Beatitudes work. The other example would be, look at how blessed those people are. Look at how blessed they are, even though they're poor in the spirit, because they have the kingdom of heaven. Another way to make an example says, blessed is the happy daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit the Jones farm. Meaning, she doesn't get to inherit the the farm because she's blessed, meaning she's already a daughter of the farmer. She already owns the land. She has an inheritance waiting for her. People look at her and see that she's blessed because she already obtained the promise that her father has for her. And all of these beatitudes, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. All it means is those people that are part of God's kingdom, no matter what they're going through or what is happening around them, they're already blessed. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm already blessed. Why? You have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't matter if it comes hell or high water, suffering, mourning, meekness, frustration, persecution, whatever beatitude you're looking at, whether you're impoverished, you're poor, no matter what it is, you're already blessed. Why? Because you're part of the kingdom. And you're waiting for a promise. And while you wait for that promise, I'm blessed while I wait for it. The other principle is this. Jesus knows obedience does not lead to grace. Grace leads to obedience. Meaning God says, I'm going to give you the kingdom, 
I'm going to give you the blessing and obedience is going to flow out of that. See, grace, a true experience with grace does not motivate people to disobedience. A true experience of grace motivates people to sacrifice and holiness. That's how you can tell if somebody has actually received grace or not. And this sloppy grace message that is growing and growing a greater current in, in cultural Christianity it says this, God is, God is just love. God is so gracious. God is so good. You know, he loves us even though we're sinners. And so I can keep on sinning, but God is gracious and God's going to keep on forgiving me. No, what that means is you have not experienced grace. Because when you experience the grace of God, when you realize that Jesus sacrificed heaven and earth, his body, his blood, his inheritance, and everything he has, when he sacrificed for that, for your forgiveness, that is an expensive cost. You don't want to keep tanking out the grace of God. See, true grace motivates me to not make God waste his grace on me again. See, God doesn't manipulate God compels us to obedience through grace. So blessed are those who've inherited the kingdom of God, even when they're poor in spirit, even when they're persecuted, even when people are reviling against them, even when things are coming against them, even all these things. Why? Because he's already shown me grace. But the poor in spirit side is this, that all true wholeness comes from brokenness. That if you want to be made whole, which is what the gospel's purpose is, is to restore to you everything you had in the Garden of Eden. Created perfectly in the image of God, outside, inside, your standing with him, your relationship with him. To restore all that. If you want to get back to wholeness, the only way to get there is through brokenness. It's, it's, It's the only way. But the problem is we want to be whole without being broken. And it's impossible to be made whole without first being broken. For poor in spirit means I'm absent of self-assurance and devoid of spiritual pride. Meaning my spiritual pride and my spiritual arrogance and my self-dependence needs to be broken before I can depend on God. Which is this, this is an upside down world teaching. When Jesus teaches, he's literally teaching the opposite of what the world is teaching. That's why in some of the teachings you'll hear Jesus say, well, you've heard it said this way, but I say. And what he's saying is the world is motivating you and compelling you and drawing you this certain direction. But I say this. See, the world emphasizes what? Self-reliance, confidence, self-expression. But the kingdom emphasizes self-denial, selflessness, and dying Self. See, the kingdom is an upside down world. The world says if they, if they hurt you, they betrayed you, they abused you, you better not forgive them because if you forgive them, now they have something over you. Jesus says, no, no, forgive them. But forgive them over and over and over and over and over again. Actually pick up and walk an extra mile with them as you walk with them. The world says if you want to make it to the top, you better step over some people to propel your ambition and get there. Jesus says you better kneel down and wash some feet if you want to get to the top. See, the kingdom of heaven goes in the opposite direction of the flow of culture. The rich will be made poor and the poor shall be made rich. The low shall be high and the high shall be made low. See, the kingdom of heaven is the opposite of the world. The problem is the church so much wants to reach the world, we start acting like the church and we lose the kingdom. 
See, you can be in church and be absent of the kingdom because the church, even though it may be a component of the kingdom, it's not the kingdom. You can sit in church every single Sunday. You can hear God's word. You can worship Jesus. You can serve, but you can still be absent of the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule and reign and will and sovereignty of the king himself. And he's looking for mobile territories in you and I. That's why it's the opposite. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's the opposite of everything you'd read in a self-help book. And I'm all for self-help books. I believe there's a, there's a need for self-help books and, and, and all those things. But when you put the two side by side, the self-help book is all about me and me and my needs and my desires. But then you read the Sermon on the Mountain, Jesus said, well, no, you need to die to self. Well, you need to let those things go. Well, see, one elevates the kingdom, one elevates self. They're opposites. I don't know about you, but I'll age all of you in this room two ways. One, how many of you remember the group Criss Cross? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. What did they do? They wore their clothes backwards. The kingdom of heaven wears the culture backwards. Second thing, my kids are this. When I was growing up, we used to have what we called opposite day. RJ will play this. He'll come home and be like, Dad, Dad, do you love me? And I'm like, yeah, I love you. He's like, what? What do you mean you love me? Like, this is a couple years ago. I don't want to embarrass him. Now he's 15. He sounds like a four-year-old. He's like, what do you mean you love me? I'm like, I love you. He's like, today's opposite day. That means you hate me. And I'm like, well, if you keep acting like this, you're pushing me a little close to it. Like opposite day, everything's backwards. Everything's opposite. When you live in the kingdom of heaven, it's like you continually live in opposite day. When the world is panicking, you're standing in faith. When the world is hoarding all their supplies, you're sowing into the kingdom. When the world is looking for vengeance, you're offering forgiveness. When the world is dishonoring, you're honoring. See, the difference is everything, that the kingdom of heaven is not of this world, and the people who live in the kingdom of heaven act nothing like the world. This poor and spirit means I'm bankrupt, I'm empty, I have nothing I mean nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer him. Like there's nothing I could give God to make him save me. There's nothing I can give God to get right standing. There's nothing I can give God to make myself right. I come to him broken and empty handed. I come to him poor in spirit. Theological term for that is total depravity. It just means that we are all born sinful and spiritually broken means none of us come into this world perfect and ready and holy. It means we're all empty spiritually. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right. It comes from the principle or the theology of original sin, that meaning when Adam sinned in the garden, his sin has been transferred between every father and every son or daughter through pregnancy, every generation over and over and over again, that our sin is a generational curse from one father to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation until little 14-year-old virgin had a baby as a virgin. Why is that so important? Why do you think liberal theology tries to remove the virgin birth? It's because if Jesus was born as a son of Joseph, He was born sinful. 
and he could have never made himself right. He could have never got to the cross blameless and holy enough to make the sacrifice. So he was born from a virgin. Why? To stop the chain reaction of sin in the world. So now there's a holy sacrifice. So Christmas is not about Christmas trees. It's about a virgin who stopped the flow of sin in the world. So Jesus is saying, listen, you're poor in spirit. You're, you're broken in spirit, which means there's a problem we have to make up. Meaning poor in spirit means we are spiritually bankrupt. Like bankrupt. I don't know if you've ever been bankrupt, but it means you're broke as a joke. I grew up poor. I know. How many of you have ever put, dig in your ashtray, if you didn't have ashes in it, take that change or your ashtray out of the cup holder, take it in put it on the counter. I want 86 cents on pump three, please. You do that now, you get maybe to the next gas station. Or growing up, the shampoo bottle was empty, so what did you do? Put some water in there and shake that thing up. Or you're bathing with a chiclet-sized piece of soap trying to make sure you cover your body. Like, we are at, <laughs> quit laughing at my upbringing. We were at Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving at my brother's house, and he was talking about his, his son and RJ, and them were all messing around, and they were playing too rough. And he said, they weren't brought up like we were brought up. I was like, thank God. And he said, taking baths in the neighbor's hose pipes. Right? We, there's times we didn't have running water. So we'd go to the neighbor's house to take baths in their hose pipes. Like, broke. I didn't realize I was broke until middle school. Right? You know why I realized? Because people told me I was poor when I got to middle school. But I also saw that the clothes I was wearing, which I thought were cool, were no longer cool. It's difficult when you've got some Jordash tennis shoes on and somebody next to you has Jordans. It's difficult when you've got flea market fake Nike t-shirt and they got on the real thing. It's difficult when their parents drop them off in a new car and your dad's bringing you in a hoopty that you've had for a couple of years. Like I didn't realize I was poor until I was standing around or built around people that had more than I had. See, you don't realize you're poor in spirit until you realize how rich Jesus is. So you don't realize how, how poor, how bankrupt you are spiritually until you realize and you read how Jesus walked through earth never once getting offended, never once falling into temptation, never once falling into sin. When you realize how rich he is spiritually, it begins to expose how empty I am. It begins to expose how broke I am. See, when you realize the Old Testament law was only designed to show you how poor we are spiritually. So that when Jesus showed up, we could see what a full spiritual bank account looked like. Which means you do not have the ability to pay your debts to get into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, if you realize you're broke, you can ask finally for help with your bills. See, being broke is not a badge of honor. People have taken this, they'll take out the poor in spirit. They'll say, those are poor. Blessed are the poor. No, no, we're not talking about being proud of your poverty. You can't ask for help until you realize you're broke. And when you realize you're broke spiritually, 
finally you can say, Jesus, I can't pay this bill. Jesus, I can't pay for this. Jesus, I am broken spiritually. I'm empty. I'm bankrupt. I need some credits in my account. And Jesus says, finally, now that you realize you're broke, now I can pay your bills. But being poor in spirit is also means you're spiritually sick, which means I need spiritual healing. My spirit is, is sick. Like it's corroded, it's damaged with sin. So it can't be made whole on its own. You can't have enough self-help books or self-help conferences. You can't watch enough influencers on YouTube. Like it's sick. But I think spiritually sick is just like when we're physically sick. I don't know about you, but like growing up, even now, if somebody has a cold, now before post-COVID, maybe a little bit different. Before COVID, if you had a little sniffle, you would take over-the-counter medicine. Get you some Tylenol, get you some Mucinex, get you something, right? You start at the, the least level possible. But if that doesn't work, maybe you go try to get a prescription for something. Or maybe like you walk into my grandparents' house, they'd mix you a little bit of bourbon and honey and lemon. So that's where all the teenagers went when they, <coughs> I think I'm sick, grandma. <coughs> or maybe it's essential oils or whatever. You, you start escalating. But if you have the cough for you know, a month, two months, three months, you've tried all the surface level stuff, then maybe you start thinking, well, maybe it's not just a cough. Maybe there's something deeper going on. Maybe I should go to the doctor and get them to look at something deeper. See, I think spiritually, we see and feel the brokenness of the spiritual sickness. We just try to start with the -the over-the-counter treatments first. Like I may be spiritually sick, so my marriage isn't working. So instead of going to Jesus and give me a new heart, I'll just go to the, the attorney over the counter and get me a new marriage. Or, you know, I got this anger problem. You know, I got this drinking problem. I got this smoking problem. You know, I'll just try, I'll try to, you know, work a little bit harder. Or maybe I'll try to go to an AA meeting. Or I'll try, we try to get some over the Or maybe you're just broken and lonely. You start spending way too much on your credit card as a way to, to medicate yourself. And you may do that for two months, three months, three years, 30 years, 40 years till you realize at some point it's not fixing your spiritual sickness. It's not healing who you are on the inside. See, an external solution can't solve an internal problem. You need spiritual healing. But poor in spirit also means we're spiritually broken. We have to be remade. Being spiritually broken means this. Your spirit man is broken broken. He cannot be made new or whole until he's been made new. The problem with that is we don't want to be broken. We want to give the image that we're whole. And when Jesus was preaching this sermon, he wasn't preaching this sermon in the synagogue to all the religious people because they were trying to say there, we got it all together. He's preaching this on the mountainside in the countryside to a bunch of what we call hillbilly rednecks who didn't care about the image they portrayed. He's letting them know, listen, when you come to the end of yourself, when you're broken and you realize you're broken and you quit pretending, then I can make you whole. See, there's a, there's a blessing in brokenness. Look at your neighbor and say, there's a blessing in it. There's a blessing in brokenness. There's actually an anointing in brokenness. You realize every time Jesus multiplied something, he broke it before he multiplied it. 
communion. He took the bread. He broke the bread. Why? He blessed it after he broke it. He multiplied it to his disciples. With the feeding of the 5,000, he took it, he blessed it and broke it. When you realize that there's blessing in your brokenness, why would you quit keep on pretending like you're not broken? God can bless your brokenness, but he can't bless your, your fakeness. And so he's saying, when you realize you're broken and you come to the end of your fake self and come to the beginning of your real self, there's where the blessing is. Jeremiah 18 saw it on the potter's wheel. The pot falls off. The potter's wheel, he brings it back up. He starts to remake it and remold it. Jesus said, this is what I'm gonna do with the nation of Israel. He's remolding and remaking. And so as you have pottery, like God doesn't remake your flesh, he remakes your spirit. He doesn't give you new pride, he gives you new spirit. And so what happens is we may be broken, but if God remakes us and remolds us, there may be some, some flaws to our reputation. Well, what if people, if I go down front and, I, and I, I go to the altar, people may think something different about me. Well, what if people find out about who, who I really am? Or what if people find out about what I did? Or what if, what if, and you start thinking about all these flaws you may have if you're finally open with Jesus. You see, the problem with that is we look at flaws as failure. God looks at flaws as openings. Meaning he can't get to the inside of you until you finally let those flaws open enough that his grace can get on the inside of you. See, when you're pretending like you have it all together, grace can't get into you. But when you're broken and you're weak and those flaws are open, now his grace can get on the inside of you. And God doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the inside. And the blessing for other people, if you turn those lights off, please. The blessing for other people, as he's talking about this, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, for you, you may not want people to see what's on the inside of you. You may not want them to see your pain, your heartbreak, your frustration, or your flaws, but guess what? Where does grace reign at? The inside. And so when I have flaws on the outside, what happens is now people can finally see the grace of God through my flaws. They don't see the grace of God through your religion. They don't see the grace of God through your attributes. They don't see the grace of God through your reputation. They don't see the grace of God through your brokenness. They see it through the openings you allow God to have in your life. Then finally, people could see what the kingdom of heaven looks like as the grace of God shines through you. See, what happens is as you're pretending, no one sees grace. But as you're open and you're broken, now all of a sudden the world can see what grace looks like only through broken people. You can turn those lights back on before I get scared. See, the world cannot... See. I'm going to break this down. I think one of the reasons we're seeing a deconstruction movement in a younger generation is this. We've had a whole generation of young people, Gen Z, millennials, millennials whatever we call them now. We've had a whole generation of people that their parents refused to allow their kids to experience brokenness. We protected their image, we protected their reputation, we protected their feelings, we protected their emotions, and protecting them from everything we thought was painful, we protected them from the grace of God. Because the grace of God only moves into brokenness. The grace of God only moves into weakness. And as we protect people from exposing their flaws, we're protecting their openings and we're covering their openings. So one, grace can't get in. And if it could, it can't get out. 
That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the broken in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Where's the kingdom of heaven? On the inside. Blessed. The last one is, when you're poor in spirit, it means we're spiritually empty. We need to be filled. Like we're spiritually empty. We have to be refilled. What that means is, God cannot pour into you until you pour yourself out. Like this water bottle, it's full of some water and some air. One, God cannot pour into it until it's broken open. It has to be broken open first. And then before God can pour new wine in, Toy hates when I do that. You have to pour the old wine out. So if I want God to pour new life in me, new spirit in me, new power in me, new everything in me, I have to pour out the old me. You know what we call that? You know what we call the emptying of the old person, the emptying of yourself? Repentance. Repentance is emptying the old broken spirit so God can pour a new spirit and a new heart into you. We're spiritually empty. If you want to be filled, you have to realize I'm broken. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Dr. Kendall said it. The rule and influence of the ungrieved spirit in our lives. The reign and rule of the ungrieved spirit in our lives. Meaning there's perfect communion with the presence of heaven, the power of God, and the intimate relationship we are created to have. I'm blessed, even though I'm broken, that the kingdom of heaven is what it says theirs. It's mine. Like the kingdom of heaven is mine. It's not a theory. It's not a theology. The kingdom of heaven is mine. Why? Because I realized I'm broken. I realized I'm empty. And I finally came to the only one who can heal me, the only one who can fill me again. And that is why I'm blessed. What's the kingdom of heaven? Real quick. The kingdom of heaven is God's sovereignty. Meaning he's not just your savior. He's your Lord. I'm surrendered to this king. I'm surrendered to his rule. I'm surrendered to his reign. It's also salvation. I'm submitted. Like I come empty-handed, completely with nothing to offer, submitted to the only one who can restore my brokenness, to the only one who can feel my emptiness, to the only one who can exchange my debt for his credits. The only one. Why? Because I'm surrendered. But it's also the presence of the Spirit of God. Call that the feeling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the only people that have the full measure of the Holy Spirit within them are those who are empty of themselves. God will not compete with any other kingdoms. The whole book of Matthew, Jesus teaches over. It's the number one topic in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven will come like this. The kingdom of heaven. He's trying to get our attention. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom kingdom of heaven is theirs. Who's those who are poor in spirit? But it goes back to the fact there is no faking it until you make it in the kingdom of heaven. None. You cannot fake that you're a citizen of heaven and walk 
in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus actually tells a parable about a, a wedding banquet. He brings a bunch of people. He says, go in the highways. About he calls all these people in and he comes in and he says, well, why does this person not have the wedding garments on? He said, cast them out into the weeping and gnashing of teeth. What he was saying is, you may come in, but you're not part of the kingdom. You don't get to live in the kingdom if you're faking. See, there's a garment to be worn, and that garment is a garment of blood. To be covered in the bride, in the blood of Jesus himself. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. teaching over the next few weeks is twofold. I'm praying that it sets a new standard for what it looks like in the kingdom of heaven. That for us as people, that we'll begin to live on the mountaintop lifestyle of Christianity, not the gutters of Christianity. But two, I pray becomes a motivation and a filter in which we look at our own lives our own spirits to start making a decision to scale the mountain of the Lord. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. As I'm talking about poor in spirit, maybe, maybe you realized that you're spiritually broke. You're empty spiritually. You're bankrupt spiritually. You can't have the Holy Spirit living within you and be spiritually bankrupt. So if you feel spiritually bankrupt, it's because one thing has happened. The Spirit of God does not live within you because you haven't been saved yet. And maybe this is the moment God is saying to you, look at my son Jesus. Everything you can't do, he did. And he's exposing your spiritual poverty. Or maybe you're spiritually empty. Like you feel drained, you feel weary, you feel this heavy yoke upon you. Jesus did not give you a heavy yoke. He says, give me that, I'll give you rest. See, you feel spiritually empty when you're running off your own energy and your own spiritual fuel. But one of the things the Holy Spirit is, he gives you power to scale the mountain Lord and walk the walk and to walk in the Spirit of God. Or maybe you're just spiritually broken. Maybe you've tried to remodel your life and and change everything and, and, and make everything better. Or maybe you're spiritually sick. You keep going through the same symptoms and the same things over. You've tried to medicate yourself. Maybe you try to change some things, but you haven't went to the heart doctor yet. And Jesus is the ultimate heart doctor. He takes out of your heart a stone and gives you a heart of flesh, a new heart. And the way we do that is repentance and confession empty myself so that the creator can renew in me and refill me the way he created me to be. That's you. I'm going to have you stand up. I'm going to have you raise your hand. That's you. I just want to encourage you right now. As I, I pray. I want you to pray along with me. You can pray it. Just, Father, I thank you that you are a God of blessing. Father, right now I realize I'm poor in spirit. My spirit is broken. My spirit is sick. My spirit is empty. And right now I repent of trying to fill myself up to preoccupy me. So right now, Father, I repent and I pour out my desires, my will, my intentions. And I ask that you cover me 
with the blood of Jesus. And I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you set my direction and my path towards advancing your kingdom. I pray, Father, you give me all the benefits and privileges of a child and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.